why don't we teach them about loving your brain? This little tiny habit to love your brain is just ask yourself every day, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And if you can answer that question with information and love, you begin to make better decisions. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You might have guessed from listening to this show that I'm kind of a busy guy, man. I'm flying around the world producing this content for you, interviewing all these fascinating people. So when I'm home, I really don't have time to grocery shop or cook. And even if I could, I suck at it, so I'm not going to enjoy my own cooking. Enter my friends over at Sakara, today's show sponsor, who've got an incredible menu of creative chef-crafted breakfasts, lunch, and dinners that change weekly, so I don't get sick of them. And it's delivered super fresh anywhere in the U.S. But along with delicious meals, Sakara's also got daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support the delicious food that they're going to bring to your house. To boost results, I'm going to give you a little tip here. Try the best-selling Metabolism Super Powder, which is an all-natural remedy for bloating, weight gain, etc. It's really good stuff. And Sakara is kind of famous now. They've received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, and the New York Times. They're kind of awesome. They've also been on the podcast, of course, on episode 206. You might have heard that. So if you want to get in on this action, here's what you do. Go to Sakara.com. That's S-A-K. A-R-A, Saqqara.com slash Luke. And guess what? You're going to get 20% off your first order. That's Saqqara.com slash Luke to save 20% off these delicious organic meals delivered right to your house. This episode is brought to you by ComradeSocks.com forward slash Luke. Now, you might have heard me bitch about the problems I have with air travel and even auto travel on this show. I just get completely smoked and I'm always looking for hacks to make it suck less. But one of the things I discovered a few years ago was compression socks, but I couldn't find any that looked decent. They all looked like medical grade or something my grandparents would wear. They weren't like, I don't know, they had no sense of style and they were also super uncomfortable. They weren't soft. Well, I found these Comrade socks. They're padded. They're antimicrobial, so your feet don't get funky, even if they get a little sweaty. And they are very much scientifically designed to prevent swelling, discomfort, spider veins. They're really good for public speaking, which is what I do when I typically have to stand for a long period of time or when I go to the conferences and work the events. Even just walking my dog, recording podcasts, basically anywhere I live my life. I'm into the Comrade socks. So they look good, they work well, and they really prevent the swelling and pain associated with being a human and having feet. So if you want to check them out, here's what you do. Get over to ComradeSocks.com forward slash Luke. Spell that like this. C-O-M-R-A-D Socks. ComradeSocks.com forward slash Luke. And when you're over there ordering your Super Rad Socks, you can enter the code Luke and save 20% off. That's comradesocks.com forward slash Luke. 
On today's show, which is episode 267, incidentally, we're going to be talking about that 10-pound piece of fat inside your skull, folks. This is The Brain Show, featuring one of the foremost experts in the world on the brain, Dr. Daniel Amen. I'd also like to encourage you to watch the video to this particular episode because what happened was I went down to Amen Clinics in Orange County, of which Dr. Daniel Amen is the founder. By the way, they also have eight other clinics across the United States that you might want to check out. But I went down there for this interview and also for a SPECT scan, which is a special brain scan that's performed by Dr. Amen and his crew down there. And we did the scan and filmed that whole thing and then sat down for the interview where he breaks down my scan and tells me what's wrong with my brain and how to fix it. I was actually quite shocked and disappointed to find that my brain has some fairly serious issues with brain flow. And uh, I thought I was going to walk in there and just get a flying colors report from him after all of the hard work I've done on my health and my brain for all of these years. But Alas, there were some fairly significant problems. I was disappointed to find this out, but relieved to be with one of the foremost experts that could give me very clear and concise direction on how to reverse the damage. Uh, Many things were discussed in terms of my aftercare, one of which being a hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatment schedule. Uh, I've done quite a lot of that over the years, but I've never owned one. So after this, and uh, Dr. Amen, if you ever hear this, thank you for the advice. And I went and just pulled the the trigger and bought my own chamber. It was quite expensive, but it's in the backyard now. Well, not in the yard, but you know, in my little Zen den, the biohacking lab out in the back. And I've been very diligent about its use. Uh, today, I did two one-hour sessions. I love meditating in there. I have all kinds of different nootropic stacks and fish oil and all this stuff that I do before I get in there. Breath work and you know, tie it in with the juve red light therapy and the vibe plate and the biocharger and saunas and the ice bath. Um, so now the hyperbaric is just it's part of the family, man. So I can thank uh, Dr. Amen for that. But yeah, I was a little shocked to find out that my brain was in as bad a shape as it is. But it's better to know than not to know. At least uh, now I'm you know inspired to really be diligent about the treatment of my brain and to really take care of it. Before we jump into this episode on the brain, let's talk about next week's show, Career and Love Mastery, with the ancient wisdom of Ayurveda featuring my friend and second-time guest, Sahara Rose. That was recorded a few months ago in Atlanta, Georgia at the Attune event, which I'll be going back to this year, by the way. More on that later. But man, I love Sahara. She's just so smart and articulate and funny and kind and amazing. So that's going to be a great episode. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your app so that you don't miss uh, next week's show or any show to follow. And I'm going to start plugging my newsletter a lot, guys. And um, I know it's annoying when podcasters plug, but I'm just so proud of my brand new show notes format and transcripts that I want you to have them. I don't want that hard work and hard-earned money that I'm spending on these advanced-level, time-stamped, clickable show notes to go to waste. So I want them to end up in your inbox because... It's just a really high value uh, bit of content that I've been able to add to this show. So to get on the newsletter, go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. That's lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. Enter your name and email and uh, it's done. You're going to get all of the information from every single episode sent to you every Tuesday. If you don't want to use the browser method, you can text me on any US phone to the number 44222. In the body of that text, enter this word, lifestylist, all one word. So text lifestylist on a US phone to the number 44222. 
that puts you on the uh, newsletter and gives you really badass, very thorough, brand new show notes. I'm really proud of these and I can't wait to share them with you. Here's a few of the key points we talk about with Dr. Amen. Uh, there's much more to it than this, but these are sort of the highlights, the clickbait <laughs> bullet points, because some of the stuff we talked about was kind of controversial and I was surprised how hardcore he was. I mean, he's pretty strict on things that you put in your brain and I'm quite cavalier. I think I can get away with a lot now that I'm not, you know, I don't drink or smoke or do drugs. I mean, I'm a pretty clean living guy, but there were some really surprising things that uh, he revealed to me during this conversation. So here's what they are, a breakdown of the different types of ADD and how to treat them effectively. The fact that there are many different types of addictions, not just addictions to different substances and habits, but just different types of personalities that become addicted and how you treat those addictions. When are psychiatric drugs useful versus harmful? What makes alcohol so bad for your brain? So many people think, oh, a glass of wine a day is good for you. Uh, Dr. Amen would disagree with that for sure. The negative effects of heroin and other opiates on the brain. You know, we have a national crisis with this fentanyl and all this weird stuff going on. So he talks about uh, how we want to avoid that and why. Why Dr. Amen thinks that uh, CBD and cannabis is not such a great idea for brain health, the dangers of caffeine, sugar, and nicotine. So basically, you just can't have any fun anymore. No, you, you can, but um, Dr. Amen has a lot of research that's quite compelling. And many of the things that we like to enjoy just aren't good for the brain. So it's not, I don't think, necessary that you, you quit everything per se, but it is good to be aware um, of the, uh, you know, the frequency of use with some of these things. And he's um, got some strong opinions about psychedelics and plant medicines, even microdosing and things like that, that I think you'll be interested to hear. Uh, that did not stop me from taking some psilocybin today, any very microdose, and uh, it's working quite well for me. So again, if you hear this, Dr. Amen, I'm so sorry. I followed the hyperbaric advice, but I'm still, <laughs> I'm still getting some benefit from the microdosing here and there. Okay. I just, I'm going to be honest. The negative effects of social media and device addiction and your brain on porn. So this is a really detailed deep dive into brain health and how we can protect our most important organ, at least in my estimation is, because your brain runs everything else. You know what I mean? So we want a healthy, clean brain. I've got some great upcoming events. I've got Upgrade Labs Biohacking Conference in Beverly Hills, March 27th through 29th. Paleo Effects in Austin, April 24th through 26th. And finally, I'll be at Meet Delic here in Los Angeles, May 2nd and 3rd. To get into my events, go to lukestory.com forward slash events. And now, my friends, let's jump into this fascinating brain scan result reading and deep dive into your dome with Dr. Daniel Amen. Daniel Amen, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much. I've been wanting to get down here to this clinic for I don't know how many years. When I first saw you speak, uh, one of the couple times you spoke at David Wolf's Longevity Conference, and it was right down the street from here. It's funny, as I was driving, I was like, oh, I used to take this exit to go to the David Wolf thing. And then it kind of came full circle that that's where I first heard you speak about the brain. And ever since that day, I've always thought, God, I really like to know what's going on with mine. And here we are. I just got scanned. I don't think I moved. We should have a clean picture, so I'm really excited to meet you and to kind of dive into your work and share with the world all the things that you do. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm honored to share my work with you and the people you serve. 
Cool. So let's go ahead and dive into uh, what you found in this scan. But perhaps before we do that, you could just kind of explain to the listeners what a SPECT scan is to begin with. So I'm a psychiatrist, but unlike most psychiatrists, I actually think you should look at the organ that you're going to go treat. And so for the last almost 30 years, we've been looking at the brain with a study called SPECT. And SPECT basically tells us three things. Good activity, too little, or too much. SPECT is a nuclear medicine study that looks at blood flow and activity. It's different than a CAT scan or an MRI. Those are anatomy studies that show what the brain actually physically looks like. SPECT looks at how it works. And so... um, it's very important to know we don't just take a picture of your brain and then go, oh, this is the problem, do that. You actually filled out a lot of paperwork for us and talked to our historian. So she gave me an eight-page report on your life because we always have to put this scan into the context of your life to help us understand why it may look this way or that. And um, don't let me forget to tell you about the Erlen syndrome. It's one thing oh, we have to Oh, you know, I had an appointment about. with her. Did I you? went to the first one and then they sent me home with the gels. And then it's actually, it's so funny. It's been on my to-do list for like a year and a half since I went for the first one. Oh, how interesting. Because I found the gel and it was blue. And if I put that blue gel over a book while I read, I can read... I don't want to exaggerate, but probably 40% better. I mean, it's like much less laborious. But you probably should wear the glasses. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good reminder. In, She's actually close to here in Long Beach too. Right. Yeah. And one of the things I picked up in, in your history is that there was some physical brain trauma, and which I'll show you on your scan. But that often will trigger this thing called the Erlen syndrome, which is a visual processing issue. And they just go hand in hand all the time. And very few people actually know what the Erlen syndrome is. I think I've diagnosed it maybe a thousand times over my career. And some of the stories are spectacular on how those simple glasses or overlays change people's lives. Yeah, you know where I think I got stuck with um, Helen's um, process was because at the same time I was discovering the whole blue light phenomenon, right? So I started wearing blue blocking glasses and really you know, changing all the bulbs in my house. And that's something I've talked a lot about with different guests on the show um, for sleep and just all kinds of things. And so uh, when I went to her and the gel that ended up working was blue, I was kind of like, how does this work? Because I have I have like prescription glasses for driving at night and they're blue blocking and computer glasses and stuff. And so I was kind of like, I don't know, can you have blue blocking glasses that are also blue tint? And I kind of just got stuck at that point. And the answer is yes. Oh, cool. And blue is actually very important, just not after dark. Right. Because it helps to block the production of melatonin. Right. But if you need it, see, everybody's different. You know, when we make generalizations, we're not personalizing the treatment for you. 
I have a sister-in-law that has Erlen who was in 19 car accidents. And she is actually embarrassed because she'd see these halos and she thought, well, if I tell the doctor, they're going to say I'm schizophrenic. <laughs> um, wow. And on Erlen, she can drive. Uh, she doesn't have headaches anymore. She's more effective at work. I mean, it's just really stunning. Anyways, back to yeah. spec. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's inspiring, though. Thanks for reminding me of that and 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 providing some relevance because now I'll be inspired to go finish the second half and like get the glasses and whatnot. Yeah, no, it's actually one of my primary recommendations. I mean, I have lots of them, but that that will be one. So we did this detailed history, and um, and then we did some computerized neuropsychic tests to look at, well, how does your brain work? You know, if we actually test it. And um, the, the one you just finished is called WebNeuro that actually measures 17 areas of cognitive function. And it, it grades you on a scale of one to 10. And it breaks it into thinking scores, self-regulation, feeling, and emotion. The ones that are really important to me is to actually look at the individual scores. And you scored really well on sustained attention and processing speed, so I like that. Not very well on flexibility, which I don't know if that's consistent Hmm, with your experience. Um, And executive function, which was the maze. And this is going to become super important because if I fix that, everything in your life gets better. The maze was really hard. And I also didn't realize you have to keep doing it until, until you get it right. So I think once I, I gamed it by going, oh, Luke, you actually have to like really pay attention. So it took me a few times just to understand that part of it because I thought, well, you're just going to do it five times and you'll get the best of. It's like, no, you're not getting out of this maze until you remember <laughs> how you got through it. So yeah. You're really good at reading faces and other people. Um, you tend to read more negative faces faster than positive faces. So I think of this almost as my FBI or CIA pattern. Right. <laughs> a little bit of suspiciousness, um, but not in a bad way. I mean, both the scores are normal. Um, some stress, not really very anxious. Um, but if I can help with the flexibility and the executive function, that's going to help you a lot. And the cool thing is four months from now, you can take that test again and actually take it at home. Then we'll see if we're making the right progress that we want to make. Does that make and, sense? Yeah, and, and with that flexibility, um, what... How, how does that play out in the way that you think and operate in life? Like if your flexibility low is score, what's that indicative of? So actually is to put this on my daughter's chore chart. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're going to work on flexibility because <laughs> if things didn't go a certain way, it'd be upsetting to her. And so it's where you can get locked in and have trouble shifting attention which can then sometimes go with worrying. And if things don't go a certain way, you can get upset. And, 
um, for some people, not everybody, they might have a tendency, no matter what someone says for them, to say no. So I grew up with a father like that. His favorite word was bullshit. <laughs> His second favorite word was no. Right. So that's what I grew right. up with. So would someone with low flexibility be more prone to obsessive thinking? Yes. Where you get kind of stuck in, okay, got it. Yeah. I'm trying to, I, re- I relate. It might go to addictions. Yeah. That, you know, in your history, that was an issue for you in the past. Yeah, big and time. And you might almost worry that you have a health addiction now that I read. <laughs> you and, already caught that. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I read it. Oh, okay, it was in, in my report. report. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I totally have one. I mean, because yeah. it's like addicted it's to my being healthy job, and the lifestyle and everything. Right. Yeah. I wrote a book called The Brain Warrior's Way because I think we're in a war for the health of our brain everywhere we go. We're coming up to the holidays now. People are trying to murder you left and right. You know, have this, have that. Have a second helping of something that's harmful for you. Right. Right. So I, I'm with you there yeah. on the health addiction. Um, but the cool thing, I mean, the reason people come see us is because of the imaging work we do. And um, again, spec basically tells us three things. Good activity, too little or too much. And then our job is to balance it. Here's an example of a healthy scan. So here we're looking underneath the brain. This is the top, that's the back. So I know they can't see it, but I want you to see it. And for those of you listening, there's going to be a number of things that are going to be described that will be audio. Uh, However, there is a very high quality YouTube video, which will be released at the same time as this podcast. So we're going to do our best to help you follow along uh, for those of you listening. But this would be one definitely be served to go watch. And, And so this view, we're looking underneath the brain. So just like this, where this is the back, that's the front. Here, we just flip it around, looking down from the top. Color doesn't matter. It's the shape we're looking at. Then we look at it from one side, then the other side. And all we want it to be is full, even, and symmetrical. And this is going to be the most important image I show you. This view, um, blue is average activity. Red and white are the most active parts of the brain. And what we usually see is the back part of the brain in an area called the cerebellum. It's the most active. Why? Cerebellum's 10% of the brain's volume. It contains 50% of the brain's neurons. I think of it as the CPU or the central processing unit in the brain, and it's critical to work right. And yours, we're going to find out, is sleepy. And so one of the recommendations is we need to figure out how to activate that. Because if we activate that, it'll actually help activate the it's rest so of the So interesting, you, you never hear about the cerebellum either. Nobody like when cares people, about it. Yeah, I, when I call talk it about the Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> part of the brain. Rodney Dangerfield, it's like I get no respect. Yeah, yeah. The problem is I have young people who work for me who have no idea who Rodney Dangerfield right. is. It horrifies That's me. Th- I'm 49. <laughs> that's starting to happen to me too, where I give a cultural reference and I just get blank stares. I'm like, oh yeah, wow, I'm, I'm the old guy now. <laughs> With the cerebellum, one of, one of the things I was going to ask you about, um, we were introduced by um, Winford Dorr. Uh, and his episode, I think, will have come out before this one. And so he's got this program called Zing Performance that 
works on improving the function of your cerebellum. So I'm, it's interesting that I just logged into that and kind of just got started on it um, with the assessment, but I've not done it yet. So I wonder, you know, what that will do for. Well, that would actually be a recommendation is to start engaging in a coordination program. And Zing can be one of them. There's another one called the interactive metronome. If we can activate your cerebellum, it's going to help activate the rest of your brain. So I'm excited about that. So if we look at your scan... Here we're looking underneath the brain. Your thalamus, that's your part of your limbic brain or your emotional system, is really busy. <laughs> but your uh, cerebellum is sleepy. Uh, I don't like that. That's not good for you. And so if we can find a way to activate it, that will be helpful. And, and I see this pattern often and people have had substance use issues in the past. Wow, it's interesting. It's it's funny because that was, you know, we're going on almost 23 years since I was fortunate enough to escape from that. And yet it's still, we're still seeing signs of that in the past, even that long ago. And, and, and it's not like I've been eating McDonald's and drinking Diet Coke still. I mean, I've been like fully on board with a really healthy lifestyle for that whole time too. And so we're going to have to figure out ways to ramp that up even more. <laughs> right. So I don't want you to become less obsessed with your health. Got it. No problem. Um, but if we go back, so, so those are the two important findings with the, this is called our active view. So low cerebellum. Do you do any coordination exercises now? I do Kundalini yoga. Uh, which requires you Satanama. doing a lot of yeah satanama requires you doing that. oh yeah I published two studies what no way I was going to ask you about that later yeah. in the interview um, Dharma Singh Khalsa helped fund the Alzheimer's Prevention Research Foundation helped fund two studies we did and we saw significant improvement in the prefrontal cortex with it. Um, and it sort of calmed down the back half of the brain, but typically wow. activates the cerebellum. Oh, interesting. So, so well, I would the, keep doing it. Yeah, I just I've been studying for a number of years, and I'm now trained to teach it. And um, one of the things I've intuitively always thought that it does to contribute to you just feeling really good afterward is that you're having to do all of these different things with your hands and breathe and sing a mantra at the same time. It's it's one of the few things that I do that requires a bunch of different functions to coexist at the same time. But other than that, I don't do anything, you know, other than just automated walking, running, you know, hiking. I don't do anything that requires coordination like table tennis or something where you really have to focus and use your brain. So that's hands, arms well, another one of the recommendations is ping pong. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay. It's the best brain game where you have to get your eyes, your hands and feet all to work together while you think about this spin on the ball. So right. it's aerobic chess. And when you play at a reasonably high level, very aerobic. But it's good to activate your cerebellum. Mm, cool. And people who play racket sports live longer than everybody else. So wow. football players don't live longer than anybody else. Soccer don't live longer than anybody else. 
swimmers, the second best, but the best was tennis, table tennis, squash, racquetball. And I think it's because they're activating the cerebellum. Wow, interesting. With, so, with the thymus being overactive, um, <laughs> would that be indicative of um, early emotional trauma, kind of like a limbic system feedback loop thing that was activated at some point? You bet. And if you're not careful, sometimes it can go with depression. And it can sort of color the world more negative than is helpful. Um, there's actually a pattern of PTSD that is, is this, but it's other things that are really active as well. I'm doing a program for the Newport Beach Police Department. And what we find in first responders is their brain becomes, their limbic brain becomes hyperactive because they're always having to watch for danger. And when you grow up with an unpredictable environment, your brain learns it better watch or bad things could happen. Right. Have you um, heard of Annie Hopper and the DNRS? Are you familiar with that? I, you know, I just sort of yeah, I've been I've been dipping into that a bit. She has these um, courses that you can go to, and there's an online course and whatnot. And a lot of people with EMF sensitivities and chemical sensitivities. I mean, people that are you know find it they're unable to live their life because of those things and other issues like that. Um, she's been very successful at completely healing people of those and just random body pain and all sorts of weird sort of phantom things. The, the kind of issues where. You go to a psychiatrist and they tell you it's all in your head kind of things, you know? But it and is so, all in your head. Right. So, it's in the six inches between your ears. So her, her program, uh, my dad's had a lot of success with it. And it has to do with this limbic system trauma loop where early in life or even throughout your adult life, even a car accident, you know, to child abuse and things like that. But everything in between where you get stuck in that limbic system trauma loop and then in your everyday waking life now you get triggered by something that's totally safe and unrelated but because you're in that hyper vigilant state you become even more susceptible to real and imagined threats in the environment so it reminds me of the the first responder kind of thing there where you just sort of get stuck in that and i felt that during my life at different times where spiritually intellectually i know the thing that i'm afraid of or upset about is not real you know, I've worked, I've done the Byron Katie work a lot. I've done all of it, you know. So I know, but I still can't make it stop. I have an intellectual understanding that this is a this is a limbic system thing. That's adrenaline, it's cortisol. It's not real, but still the effect of it is paralyzing sometimes. And so finding a way to calm this down would be helpful right. as long as we activate your cerebellum at the same time. Oh, interesting. Because sometimes if, if we calm things down too much, you might feel better, but it'll cause other problems. Got it. Interesting. Okay. So the really important picture is this one. Because when I saw your scan, I'm like, this is a trauma scan. Um, from if, if it was the substance abuse that was still there, I would see lots of holes or decreases in the back. Um, a little bumpy. But that's not the issue. The issue is right here. It's both of your temporal lobes got hurt. And the left side of your frontal lobes got hurt. And it's asymmetrical, so it's worse on the left than on the right. 
though, we need to repair these guys. Because if we don't repair them, you're going to notice your memory's going to get worse and worse over time. And the cool thing is actually can show it to you on my computer. So here's what we're looking at. So that big hole on the upper right is not supposed to be there? It's not supposed to be there. Whoa. You guys, I'm looking at um, this angle of the brain. And as I said, you know, you can go see the video of this. But for explanation uh, purposes, yeah, there's a couple big uh, gouges in there. That So now the holes yeah. are physical holes. They're functional. Lack of blood flow. So it's decreased blood flow. Got it. So how I make these pictures is I set a threshold and I said, I want to see this level of brain activity. Anything below that shows up as a hole or a dent. Now, if you do everything I ask you to do in three months, six months, your brain can look like that. Really? Which can be really healthy. So you have no dead areas in your brain. But this is not healthy for you to have sleepy temporal lobes and mostly on the left left frontal. And that's probably why you didn't do well on the maze um, because that's a frontal lobe function. And if we can repair it, um, do you know Joe Polish? Mm-hmm. So Joe and I yeah. have been friends for a long time. I have seven of his scans. Oh, really? So the first one sort of looked like yours, yeah. actually very much like yours. Yeah. He got beamed in the head with a baseball when he was 10. And, um, and then he had an addiction. And, and his second scan, five months later, was better. Five years later, it was just stunningly normal. Wow. Um, so it's, this is like the brain envy moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? When I, 1991, when I started scanning people, I scanned my mom, who was 60 at the time, and she had a stunningly beautiful brain. And then I scanned myself, and it looked like crap. I'm like, why does my brain look like crap? I played football in high school, had meningitis as a young soldier. I was overweight. I was eating lots of fast food. I wasn't sleeping. I was chronically stressed. And I developed this concept I call brain envy. Freud was wrong. It was about three <laughs> feet too low right. in the body. I've not right. seen one case of penis envy 40 years being a psychiatrist. Um, it's brain envy. You have to start caring about it. And when I didn't start taking care of it, my brain got much better. And so this is what I expect from you. But say you don't get serious. Ultimately, over time, your brain goes the wrong way. And so most people, when they're 48, never look at their brain. And we know that Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia start decades before you have any symptoms. So if your first symptom, say, my age, 65, you likely had trouble in your brain in your 40s. The fact that you know and then we can begin to reverse it, we may extend your cognitive life 20 or 30 years. And that's pretty exciting, I think. Wow, So, So the brain is one of the only organs we do not routinely screen. 
we screen breasts, we screen prostate glands, we screen hearts, we screen bones, but not the thing that makes you you, which is your brain. Would this um, scan and what you're seeing here that is obviously not desirable, would that have been any different if, you know, like yesterday or this morning, I had exercised really hard and increased blood flow, or if I had caffeine or nootropics or smart drugs, or is there anything I could have done to trick the scan, so to speak, where it would have looked better today than it does? You know, they did a study. How much variation do you get from a day to day or month to month, depending on how someone's doing? So they did a study at UCLA that said over three weeks there was less than three percent variability. Now, I've done 160,000 of these, and I know if you're a woman and you have significant PMS, your brain really does change over your cycle. Um, that during the worst time of the cycle, your brain's going to look very different than the best time of your cycle. I know if you got drunk and we scanned you drunk, because I've done that for court cases. <laughs> oh, really? I had this one guy <clears throat> who committed his crime when he was drunk. So I replicated, I scanned him sober and then I scanned him drunk and his brain was very different. And, you know, people are different when they're drunk. Um, sleep deprivation can make it look worse. Um, we ask people to hold caffeine the day of their scan because caffeine constricts blood flow to the brain. Um, so generally, your scan is going to be your scan. Um, and for you, we want to make it better. Yeah, cool. Um, and so, so if we look at your temporal lobes, things like memory and mood stability learning, and frontal lobes, focus, forethought, judgment, impulse control, planning, things like that. So if I just sort of listen to your symptoms, I might think, oh, he's a little OCD and put you on a serotonin drug. What do serotonin drugs do? They relax the brain. They calm the brain. And do you really want to calm a brain that's already sleepy? That's a bad idea. And so I know you take modafinil um, and that's helpful to you. And that makes sense mm-hmm. because it stimulates right. the brain. And so, so I would be a fan of that. What I'd really be a fan of is, is there anything that's suppressing brain activity? So we want to stop that. Um, And then how can we boost it? So I think if you've not been tested for Lyme, for heavy metals, for mold exposure, you know, because whenever I see a scan that's sleepy, I'm thinking to myself, so what could cause this? The head traumas you had when you were young? Some of the substance issues? That could certainly do it. But the head trauma was a very long time ago. The substance issues were a very long time ago. Is there anything currently that could be contributing to the problem? Low testosterone, for example, can do it as well. So one of the things I would want to do is, well, let's get a whole lab panel on you and see if there's anything contributing to this. Where you live, has there ever been a flood? Has there ever been any mold? And like, I'm a psychiatrist. Why do I care about that? Because I started seeing scans that 
weren't healthy. And then I, I come to realize, oh, they lived in a home filled with mold. Or they worked in a building that was old that had yeah. water damage. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Do you know Dave Asprey? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so, he's been on the show a couple of times. I love Dave. Yeah. And 13, 14 years ago, he got a scan. It looked like crap. Um, yours looks great compared to his original scan. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and we found out he was living in a home filled with mold. I remember that. Yeah. And then I have his scan 12 years later. It's so much better, which is what makes me super happy. Well, that's what's interesting about this because I'm, you know, looking back at the past 23 years and I mean, I've never met anyone except maybe Dave that is committed to health and well-being in all of the different areas as myself. I mean, there's just no one that keeps up with the regimen, you know what I mean? From the hyperbaric oxygen to the saunas to getting labs, like detoxing heavy metals, checking the house for mold. I'm just like, I can't believe like... So how many hyperbaric sessions have you had? Oh, probably, I've not done a series of them, a bunch in a row. Uh, they've all been kind of sporadic and random. When I fly, I'll go get one, you know, do one or something like that. I've probably done, I want to say, maybe between 15 and 20 over the course of, you know, 20 years. Yeah. So I'd get yeah. serious about it. Yeah. And I'd do 100. Really? That's great because I just met a guy that just opened up a, a really fancy um, wellness center in West Hollywood and he's got a great chamber in there. And I think if you did, you know, a lot of my patients get soft chambers because they can have them at home. Yeah. Um, and I think they help. But if you could do a hard chamber, 1.5 atmospheres, 100% oxygen, you know, at least 60 and then we could do another scan and go, how are we doing? Cool. Um, I like that because that's very tangible. And I did a study on soldiers who had blast injuries and also had PTSD. Um, they did an average of 40 sessions at that pressure. Um, significant improvements in blood flow to their brain, along with mood, memory, and so on. Wow, cool. And it may be because of the sleepiness in your brain. Mm-hmm. But the goodness of your character that you've worked so hard and you're going, you know, I could still feel better. For sure. I mean, my memory is shit. (laughs) I've just kind of, I haven't accepted it in a, you know, like um, self-pity kind of sense. It's just, I go, hey, you know, I do the best I can. I work with what I've got and I've just kind of like surrendered to it is what it is. And I'm going to stay as healthy as I can. But I mean, I know. No, I don't want you to surrender it. When I, I don't want you to be a warrior. <laughs> I know when I walk downstairs and go, what was I doing? I go, dude, I'm only 49. Like, you're not supposed to be doing that yet. If ever, maybe, you know? Right, that's the big lie that, oh, I'm 49. I'm not supposed to remember anything. Yeah. I'm 69 and I'm not supposed to. It's like, no, it's never. I mean, it's often normal, right? A whole bunch of other people your age feel it, but it's not optimal. It's not healthy. It's, you know, 50% of people, 85, will be diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. That's normal. And I want no part of it. Yeah. We don't want that normal. We don't want that life. Yeah. So hyperbaric oxygen can so really So if, if I'm setting a goal of a hundred sessions, as they go all in, how many a week would one want to do? Five. Oh, just do it like, just do them all often as you can do it. Oh, okay. I have NHL players who have concussions and they want to go back and play, um, they'll do two a day. Wow. 
Cool. So it's not going to hurt you. Yeah. Uh, it can be helpful. And the reason I found it, a friend of mine at UCLA who was doing spec before I was, we were at a conference together and he showed me two scans. He said, before hyperbarics, after hyperbarics, it increases blood flow on spec. And you know, I've been ordering it for That would explain why it's uh, so useful for erectile dysfunction then too. Blood flow. <laughs> right? That makes sense. It's all about blood flow. I just flow. interviewed a, doc- a guy named Dr. Scott Scher, who's up in the Bay Area. He's got a practice and he's now my doctor. I just did a bunch of labs with him actually. Um, but I'm going to like, I'm going to go back with this lens and be like, hey, did you see anything that would be contributing to this? But uh, he's one of the big kind of experts on hyperbaric. So we just did an hour and a half show on it. So that's how I learned that little piece of information. So now I'll give you the motivation to get in the chamber. For sure. Yeah. No, I think that will help you a lot. And then what I did with our NFL players, so I did the first and largest study on active and retired NFL players. We've had over 300 players and the level of damage is ridiculous. I mean, it's like, okay, let's stop lying. This is a brain damaging sport. Doesn't mean you you might not play. It's like firefighters, right? It's a brain damaging job. It's just so clear to me. Almost all the firefighters I see, their brains look terrible. Because of toxin exposure? Toxins, falls, um, very high level of head trauma and emotional trauma. Oh, right. Which is clearly bad for your brain. And But does that mean we're not going to have firefighters because it's a brain damaging job? No, you have to have firefighters. So so anyways, if you're going to play football, you should be doing everything else right. You should be repairing your brain all the way along. And I also put my players on a high dose, high quality multiple vitamin we created for them. High dose fish oil, like 5.6 grams. Um, and a brain boost that works in a number of different ways. And I put those together and 80% of our players showed improvements in blood flow, motivation, memory, mood, and sleep. Wow. And those are like the toughest, those are the toughest customers too. I mean, that's just... But, you know, I love them because they're used to being coached. Right, that's a good point. And yeah, they yeah. don't argue with me. Right, they're good at compliance? <laughs> they, they're compliant. That's cool. Yeah, it's like, hey coach, put me in. Yeah, um, yeah. My favorite player, one of my favorite players is Anthony Davis, the Hall of Fame running back from USC. It's called the Notre Dame Killer because in 1972, he scored six touchdowns against the University of Notre Dame. And he came to see me when he was 54, no memory, really irritable, was starting to get into fights that he shouldn't have been getting into. And one day he got confused on the freeway and he just stopped his car on the side and he has like, I have no idea where I'm going. And he called the head of pharmacy, the pharmacy department at USC who sent him to see me. And his brain at 54 looked like he was 90 and it was bad for 90. And he's just like, hey coach, what do I do? And he took those supplements. He's taken them for 10 years. Actually, his brain 10 years apart. And he's the one that helped me do our NFL study. Oh, cool. Yeah. And for parents listening, I've heard you talk before about the, the dangers of both football and soccer. I mean, if, um, 
If you had a kid right now that was 10 years old and was obsessed with football, would you let him play? Absolutely not. Your brain is soft. It's about the consistency of soft butter. Wow. People don't know that. They think it's sort of firm, fixed, and rubbery. Yeah. That's what happens after you die. But when we see them embalmed, right? Right. After you die like, and they fix it in formaldehyde, it right. gets like that. But right. in your skull, it's like soft butter or tofu, custard. Wow. Somewhere between eggs, whites, That's and gel. And this is the problem. Your brain is not smooth. Your skull, I'm sorry, is not smooth. It sits in a very hard shell. Oh, so the inside doesn't isn't smooth like the outside. I think how I picture the inside of your skull is just completely symmetrical and smooth. Like, you know, when you shave your head, it looks like that just reversed. No, but there's it has compartments these sharp and, bony ridges and wow. some really important parts of your brain, like your amygdala and hippocampus. So amygdala involved in fear and emotional regulation. Hippocampus is memory and mood. They sit right behind this very sharp bony ridge. And when I was talking to God about this, I'm like, why didn't you put bumper guards there? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, seriously? And he God's said, how like, would I know they'd like bang their heads? Yeah. Isn't that stupid? We didn't know you dumbasses were going to invent football. <laughs> <laughs> and the same goes for soccer, like doing headers. I remember being a kid and like, it was like really cool if you could bounce the ball off your head. And soccer balls are not, it's not like a volleyball. I mean, they're big, thick, they're heavy. Right. And imagine when they get wet. Yeah. And oh, wow. That's really a disaster. And it's not just heading the soccer balls. It's head hitting heads, heads hitting knees, heads right. hitting the goalposts, heads hitting the ground. There's so many different ways to get a concussion. Wow. And people, oh, come on, be a man. And it's like, well, are you really a man when your brain works right or when your brain works wrong? I mean, when your brain doesn't work right, you're more likely to beat your wife. You're more likely to make bad financial decisions. You're more likely to struggle in school. It's like, no, that's not being a man. I mean, you know, I think we have this wrong idea. And that's why we want to create brain safe sports, table tennis, tennis, golf, um, and avoid brain damaging sports. Cool. Is there anything else on the scans that we want to look at before I start um, going into some other stuff? Well, you know, the thing I really want you to see is how much better it can be. Um, that this scan, as we talked about when we started, is only good news. Because despite what you've done, it's not work. As well, I mean, who knows what your brain would be like? I wish right I now. had one from who 1997. Knows oh my God. What your life would be like, right. right? Right. If you wouldn't have made those good decisions, but it can be better still. And that's what I get really excited about. Cool. Uh, I want to ask you about your perspective of mental illness. Your new book's called The End of Mental Illness, which I think will be, it's on pre-order now as the time of this. So by the time this comes out, it'll be out. And um, I love the way you talk about kind of reframing mental illness and removing the shame and the stigma out of it, because I think historically mental illness has had this connotation that there's something wrong with the person on a um, on just the level of their humanity and your perspective is that there's something wrong with their physical brain. 
just like if you had a bad arm and you walked by people and actually like kept hitting people, it doesn't make you a bad person, it just means your arm does not work right. So what's the kind of premise of your book and, and how you're framing the different things that we call mental illness? I've hated the term mental illness ever since I decided to be a psychiatrist. I think it's shaming, it's demeaning, and it's not accurate. These things aren't mental, they're brain. And that one distinction, it just begins to change everything because people see their problems as medical and not moral. It decreases shame, it decreases guilt, it increases compliance because people want a better brain. It increases forgiveness and compassion from families. And it's more accurate. I'm also a child psychiatrist. And I did my child psychiatric training um, in Hawaii. Uh, joint program with the University of Hawaii and Tripler Army Medical Center. I was in the Army at the time. And... What a lot of people don't know is Hawaii is really an Asian culture. Um, 70% of the population is Japanese, Korean, or Chinese. And in Asian cultures, I'll probably get myself into trouble here. Um, they're shame-based cultures. And you never want to do anything to bring shame to your family. And so mental illness, no. We don't have mental illness in our families. And so the kids or the adults have to be so sick before they say, I'm in trouble, please help me. But these same families, what I've seen, will do virtually anything to give their child an edge in school. And if we just change the conversation from mental illness which people want to hide from and they're ashamed of, to brain health. If we optimize your child's brain, they're going to do better in school. They're going to be able to get into a better school, get a better job, be able to take care of you later on in life. They're all in on that. I think I have 12 books translated into Korean, Japanese, and Chinese because the message resonates. Let's not shame people. Let's optimize their brain and they'll figure out how to do their, their lives. And what psychiatry has become is embarrassing to me. When I went to medical school and fell in love with psychiatry, um, my first wife tried to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist and I came to realize if he helped her, it wouldn't just help her, it would help me help our babies and our grandbabies. So I knew this could change generations of people. I fell in love with the only medical specialty that never looked at the organ it treats. And I'm like, well, that's insane. So let's change this. And when I started looking at the brain, it changed everything. It's I can't make diagnoses just based on symptoms. So based on your symptoms, I'll give you this diagnosis. But how the hell do I know what's actually going on in your brain? And I don't want to hurt you. And all psychiatric medicines, all of them, have black box warnings. What does that mean? The FDA has decided this medicine, yes, it may help some people, but it may kill some other people. That these are <laughs> dangerous crazy. drugs. 
And yet oh, 85% of psychiatric Isn't... drugs are prescribed by non-psychiatric physicians. You know, your family doctor, your physician assistants, your nurse practitioner, 85% of these black box warning drugs prescribed by non-psychiatric physicians in seven-minute office visits who do standard of care treatment 12% of the time. It's like, this has just turned into a disaster where psychiatrists are now the 15-minute med check doctors rather than really taking a whole person approach. And in the end of mental illness, it's like, okay, this is brain But it's not just brain. I always talk about our four circles, that I want to look at your biology. You know, it's what we looked at with your spec scan, what you look at with your labs. I want to look at your biology. But I also want to look at your psychology. How do you think? Um, What developmental dragons do you have from the past that are still haunting you? What's the social circle? How's your job? How's your relationships? And what's your spiritual circle, which very few psychiatrists I know would touch. But we're all spiritual beings, and 80% of us have really deep-rooted spiritual beliefs about why we're on the planet and why we care. And so I think getting well is hyperbarics for your brain and targeted supplementation and all the health stuff you're doing. But it's also working on your mind, teaching you not to believe every stupid thing you think. I love Byron Katie's work. Um, I also like EMDR to help calm down your emotional brain. It's a specific psychological treatment for trauma. I like helping people get their relationships better. And I want to know for all of my patients, why the heck do you care? Why are you on the planet? Do you believe you're here just by random chance and your life has no meaning? Or what meaning have you created? Because um, speaking of Byron Katie, who's this just wonderful spiritual teacher, she and I are friends and I have her brain. And she has the brain of a murderer. I could get her (laughs) off. She killed her husband. Really? Um, I could probably, they probably wouldn't put her to death. Her brain, her brain was terrible. Really? And that's so fascinating. What's interesting. She seems, she has such, such a gift in her ability to communicate in her intuition and just her, I mean, you know, she would not call herself enlightened because she's too humble to do that. But I've, met few people that have those types of insights. And to me, that would indicate that, sure, she spiritually something's brain. happened. Yeah, I think her brain would be pristine. No. Because she's so... But if you know in. her story, she woke up on the floor of a halfway house in Barstow, California in <laughs> 1986. That's a really bad start. <laughs> <Already>. <laughs> in 1986, um, because she was a rager and an alcoholic and had eating disorders. And she was a nightmare mother um, and wife. And she woke up on the floor and she realized when she believed her thoughts, she suffered. But when she didn't believe her thoughts, she didn't suffer anymore. And what it tells me is even if your brain isn't as healthy as it could be, of course, we work on that because life becomes easier. But working on the other circles not believing every stupid thing you think, being connected, being purposeful. I've had the opportunity to see the scans of some of the mass school shooters 
And uh, Kip Kinkle comes to mind, murdered his mom and dad in 1998. And then he went to his high school and shot 25 people. And based on my work, they scanned him uh, in Portland. And he had a devastated brain. But he also had dark, evil thoughts that he had no control over. He had no relationships and no purpose. So... Was he on psychiatric medications? And he had taken Prozac and Ritalin and they both made him worse. And he didn't have a brain... Because no one looked at his brain. ...that would work on Prozac and Ritalin. They would make him worse. Right. They didn't have any map. So I'm basically in a mapless profession. And... uh, and I had no clue. When I first started scanning people, I'm like, well, this is the future. Of course, people would do this. You know, cardiologists look, your neurologist look, your orthopedic doctor looks, gastroenterologist look, proctologist look, everybody looks, psychiatrist guess. And I'm like, not okay. Nobody should be okay with the paradigm. But when you mix complexity with a lot of money, that paradigms don't get changed the status quo takes over and the billions of dollars that are invested in the current diagnostic model, I'm going, to base, I'm going to diagnose you as bipolar based on your symptoms with no biological data. And, you know, pharmaceutical companies don't want to be in the order business where here, take this medicine and let's fix you. They want to be in the reorder business where they're really interested in creating a chronic disease patient because that's, you know, it's sort of like why Uber works because it's a subscription model, right? Or Amazon Prime, they built a subscription model. It's really what the pharmaceutical companies are after. They're after a lifelong customer, not let's get you well. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. This episode is brought to you by Lifecycle, an evolutionary mushroom biotechnology company out of Byron Bay, Australia. You might have heard episode 255 recently with their co-founder, Julian Mitchell, where we took a deep dive into all things medicinal mushrooms. And these guys are truly changing the game when it comes to mushrooms. Let me tell you about my favorite product. It's called the Biohacking Pack. It's a five mushroom box that comes beautifully packaged with lion's mane for REM sleep and brain health, reishi for just chilling out and immunity, holy shiitake for radiance, hair and nail health, turkey tail for your gut, and of course, cordyceps, my favorite for energy. And this pack is really the ultimate way to experience the best of the medicinal mushroom world in one box. All of their products are grown in pristine Byron Bay with the best air and water and, of course, 100% organic ingredients. They're also full-spectrum and bioavailable, which means their delivery works. It gets in your blood and makes you feel good. If you want to check them out, here's what you do. Go to lifecycle.com. That's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com. If you get over there and place an order before March 31st, 2020, you can save 20% off by using the code LUKESAVE20. That's lifecycle.com. The code is LUKESAVE20. 
After that, you're going to get 10% using the code STORY10, and that expires November 2020. So again, go to lifecycle.com, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, use the code LUKESAVE20, and after that, the code STORY10. And now, back to the interview. Well, when I first sobered up, I was 26, and I had just insane thoughts tormenting me all the time. I just would, you know, kind of whiz between um, depression and anxiety, and I was just a train wreck. And um, I went to a psychiatrist in Century City and described my symptoms, which later I came to just see as unresolved trauma and just... you know, I had to learn how to meditate and have a spiritual way of life and have a meaning and purpose-based life, which I didn't have. So there were a lot of other factors that unfolded. But in one session, he um, wrote a script for something called Effexor and got me on that. And it made me crazy. I was so much worse. Like I became so compulsive and so obsessive and just like it it acted like um, amphetamine. You know, that's kind of like how it reacted in my brain and body. And um, it was terrifying because here I had just getting off drugs, right? I'd gone to rehab and I'm going to kick some really difficult drugs to get off. And I was free finally. And I was so happy about that. But then I became really what felt like addicted to this effectser. And if I started to run out, I would just start to lose my shit. And then he became kind of my dealer. And that was kind of when I got a view into that world that whoever's making this medicine doesn't want me to take it for 30 days and then throw the bottle. It's not, it's not an antibiotic, you know what I mean? This is something- No, and stopping it is a nightmare for so many people. So. Now, it you was, know, just to be clear, I'm yeah. not opposed to psychiatric drugs. I know you're not, I'm, yeah. I'm opposed to that's the first and only thing you do because that is just freaking insane. So head to head against antidepressants like Effexor. Fish oil has been found to be equally effective. Head to head against antidepressants like Effexor. Exercise has been found to be equally effective. Head to head against antidepressants. Learning how to not believe every stupid thing you think <laughs> has been found to be right. equally effective. That's, so why when you come to see me, why don't we first work on here? Take fish oil, walk like you're late, 45 minutes, four times a week. Let's begin to correct the way you think and then begin to bring up and work on the unresolved trauma. I had this great case recently of uh, the son of someone who was a gang leader and he had a fear of public speaking. And I mean, would get panicky. And so I have a bridging technique I use, which is to tell me before you give a talk, what are you thinking and feeling? Petrified, like I'm on death row. And they just opened the door to my cell and I have to take that first step. I'm like, whoa. I said, close your eyes. I want you to go back to a time when you felt like that. Starts crying. Nine years old. He's at the Los Angeles Superior Court. He has to give an impact statement for his father who's on trial for murder in the death penalty case. Now, I can drug you so that we never have to talk about that memory. 
but is that really going to help you? And I helped him see that nine-year-old as a hero rather than as a scared little boy. And he was involved in saving his dad's life. And he's powerful. But if you don't shift the story, then he doesn't know why. He just feels like he's weak and inadequate and flawed. And how's that helpful? Right? We have to learn to change the stories that we have in our head. And sometimes it has to do with how your brain works. It seems to me, after all of these years of just sort of unpacking my history um, in addiction and then working through, you know, getting off that medication at one point and questioning my thoughts and practicing meditation, all of these things, it, where I've arrived is that most of our issues when it comes to especially addictions, but also just other types of disorders that people encounter, if they don't happen to be wired toward using drugs and alcohol as their medicine, they might find some other way of behaving that, you know, masks that trauma. But it all seems to come from trauma. And especially it seems around year zero to seven, or maybe even zero to 12, that those of us, and this is true for so many of my friends and my interpersonal relationships, that we experience some acute trauma. And almost all of them end up being drug addicts or alcoholics. And so once you find a recovery program and you check yourself into treatment or whatever route you take and you get the monkey off your back, then the real work begins, much like this kid, right? So the real work is like not just numbing something with medication or street drugs, but like going back to look. Um, when it comes to healing that trauma originally so that perhaps we can avoid taking medication or street drugs or something like that, you mentioned EMDR as something effective. Um, what about, uh, there's two things that come to mind. One, I just did a session called Psych-K, something Bruce Lipton told me about. Um, Psych-K. It's kind of an obscure, it's a little bit like EMDR. So, uh, But the, the idea behind those is you're kind of reprogramming the subconscious mind or hypnotherapy, things like that. So there's things you can do with a practitioner. Something that I found extremely useful for kind of uncovering the root of some of these things was taking ayahuasca. And I did four ceremonies about a year ago and did a whole podcast trilogy uh, in Costa Rica about this experience. And <clears throat> I mean, it's a long story and I already covered it. But from your perspective, um, do ceremonial traditional plant medicines have a place in healing trauma? And also um, something that's now kind of re-emerging after being dormant for maybe 25 years is the clinical use of psychedelics, which I find to be fascinating. So things like psilocybin and ketamine and MDMA used in a clinical setting to heal past traumas and to get people past those things so that they don't have to use self-destructive behaviors to sort of numb the pain. So what's your point of view on on that side of things, or do you have one at this point? Oh, I do. You know, the big innovations in psychiatry in 2019 is the legalization of marijuana for everything and hallucinogens, which horrifies me. It does? It, it absolutely does. In fact, Joe Polish, I mentioned him, and I love yeah. Joe. Um, he has this beautiful brain. And he's doing a documentary on Ibogaine, which is like ayahuasca. Yeah. And I'm like, please don't do that. Because my experience looking at scans before and after is generally not good. 
Really? And, and I'm, I get attached to the brains I treat. And his is better. I mean, his is like freaking normal when it came is damaged to me. And, but he didn't listen to me. Um, and when, and I, uh, scanned him afterwards and his brain looked like crap again. And so I just wonder if that experience may be involved in your brain. Um, because you've worked so hard. I'm a fan of ketamine if I have a suicidal patient and nothing is working. Right. And, and I would go to ketamine before I would go to ECT, electric shock therapy, which actually works for people who are um, acutely suicidal. I like TMS way better than both of them, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, but there's all this interest. Michael Pollan wrote a book on hallucinogens. Yeah. And yeah. he also wrote a book on food. Did you know that if you change your diet, your mood gets better? <laughs> that it actually can be a treatment for right. depression. There's this uh, fun study from Australia where they looked at two outer islands. One had fast food restaurants. The other one didn't. The island with fast food restaurants, low levels of omega-3 fatty acids and five times the level of depression. It's the food. And so I get bothered by, and, and I'm, I'm for legalization of marijuana. Please don't put potheads in jail. But I'm also for, let's educate people that this is not a good thing for you. I published two studies, one on a thousand people who smoke pot. Every area of their brain was lower. Um, and, you know, I have no dog in the fight. It's the scans look terrible. That's meaningful. I published another study on 62,454 scans. It's the world's largest imaging study on how the brain ages. And then we looked at, well, what accelerated aging? Marijuana was one of the worst things that accelerated aging. Worse than alcohol, worse than nicotine. Really? Now, worse none than of those alcohol? things are good for you. Right, right. None of those things are good for you. But um, I'm concerned that it's not the right discussion. That the right discussion is what is it we can do in those four circles that will serve your health rather than potentially hurt your health. When it comes to um, the difference between someone smoking pot and getting stoned all the time and damaging their brain and the use of CBD, do you think that CBD without the THC has a place? I think it's the Wild West. And what I'm very concerned, again, think of complexity and money, that... The supplement industry is sort of growing 5 to 7% a year. The CBD market is growing like 600%. And so all of these companies are going in. But what's not happening are the randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled studies showing this is helpful or not. And they'll go, but CBD has no psychoactive effects, which is complete crap. Why would it work for seizure disorders? Why does it work for people with social anxiety <laughs> that has funny. no psychoactive right. effects? Now, the THC, and, and people just think of it as innocuous, right? If you're on the Democratic um, presidential candidate, you know, on the debate stage, they make fun of Biden because he's like, well, I'm not sure about this. 
you know, Cory Booker said, are you high when you said that? <laughs> and he said the that. fact is- That's funny. If you smoke as a teenager, it increases your risk of psychosis 450%. That's a replicated study from Norway. If you smoke as a teenager, it increases your risk of anxiety, depression, and suicide in your 20s. I'm not okay with that. Why are we teaching people to go to a drug, and you know this from your past experience, rather than we have a high school course that teaches kids to love their brain, why don't we teach them in a standardized way, how not to believe every stupid thing you think. Why don't we teach them about kundalini yoga and meditation? Why don't we teach them about loving your brain? The little tiny habit to love your brain is just ask yourself every day, is this good for my brain or bad for it? And if you can answer that question with information and love, you begin to make better decisions. So your perspective then on the whether they be the plant medicines in the in the more traditional route or the clinical psychedelics is that you're just not convinced that they're not bad for your brain. So people could have spiritual insights or healed trauma, but there is perhaps repercussions of damage to the brain. While you might have, like for me, and one of the many, many profound insights I had when I did ayahuasca the fourth time um, was that I saw my birth. I had like a vision of my birth. And I was, um, once I was born, I was thrown in this other room in an incubator and just kind of no one could touch me or anything for about four days. And I had this deep sense of abandonment and just being afraid. And I could see then kind of these touch points of how that played out through my life, even up until now to some degree. And so it was able, it was a way for me to see, oh, there's like a core abandonment that happened then that I was on some level cognizant of that now has kind of, played itself out throughout life. And there have been other instances of abandonment also. But that was just, you know, it was one little insight. And it was very freeing because it helped me to see kind of the root of a certain trauma. And there were a number of other ones just throughout life that from a more spiritual perspective, it allowed me to zoom out and kind of oh, sort of forgive myself for having some of the behavioral tendencies that I have or some of the deep-seated fears. And in fact, also getting the sense it was setting me free from certain traumatic events in my life and kind of having a forgiveness for the perpetrators or forgiveness of myself if it was something that was self-imposed, you know? That's not to say that those four ayahuasca journeys didn't hurt my brain, but it's almost and, like- And maybe we could have gotten to that through a bridging exercise or right. through hypnoanalysis, which is where I actually learned the bridging exercise. Um, had this one boy who I just dearly love, this teenager who's having panic disorders. And I put him in a trance and I'm like, what are you thinking and feeling? And he's like, when he's had a panic attack, he's like, I can't breathe. And so I said, imagine yourself getting younger and smaller. Um, go back to the first time you had that feeling. And he was four and got a piece of steak stuck in his throat. And somebody had to do the Heimlich. He turned blue. He thought he was going to die. And I'm like, well, go back even further. Is there any other episode? And he went back and he said, um, a baby and I'm all wet and I can't breathe and I'm going to die and I'm completely scared. His mom was in the room. He was born with the cord wrapped around his neck. Wow. And um, and the only reason I know that's true, because you know, the brain can make stuff up. The brain's actually sure. really good at making yeah. stuff up. Don't don't many of us have memories that we think are real that aren't? Absolutely. I've heard that. And that's why if you remember something in a hypnotic trance, it's not admissible in court. 
because, you know, the doctor can lead you. Anyways, his mother was there and it was a real thing. Knowing that helped to free him from it. And then I taught him how to do diaphragmatic breathing and not to believe every stupid thing he thought. And I gave him, you know, here, 10 things to do when you get a panic attack. And the panic attacks over time went away. Um, It's first do no harm. I, you know, think about that all the time. In the end of mental illness, there's actually a section. And and I'm a fan of plant-based medicines. I, I own a supplement company called BrainMD. And, but I'm a fan of the ones that have randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials, like, for example, Saffron. Head-to-head against Amipramine, Prozac, Effexor, Lexapro, and Celexa, equally effective. Saffron? And Saffron has really? no side effects. That's In crazy. fact, all the SSRIs have sexual side effects. It's so irritating. You know, your libido goes down, your ability to have an orgasm goes down. I don't like that for my patients. You right. know, I think sexuality and right. bonding is like really important. Yeah. And Saffron's prosexual. Saffron helps your memory. Saffron helps PMS. And I'm like, let's take Saffron. <laughs> Um, it helps to balance blood sugar. You know, I mean, yeah. let's go with the stuff that has good research that is safe. So, so it's always first do no harm. At least, you know, for me, that's how I practice because I don't ever want to hurt someone. And the scans have been so helpful to me because I'm always thinking, is this going to help your brain or could it hurt your brain? And if it's potentially going to hurt your brain, I'm opposed. So when it comes to trauma, what you're saying is there's there are other ways that absolutely have no potential side effects that we can actually get back into the recesses of your memory and your mind and heal those traumas in ways that don't require taking something that so, could so potentially... So that would be the first thing I would do. Yeah. That would be the first eight things I would do before I would subject you to something that could hurt you. Right. Um, the other thing that's actually pretty important for you that we really haven't discussed mm-hmm. is the potential early head traumas. Oh, um, right. Because it's clear to me, given your scan, that because it's more left-sided than both-sided, is that's physical trauma. Undiagnosed brain injuries are a major cause of psychiatric problems that nobody knows about. They're a cause of homelessness. According to a study from Toronto, 58% of the homeless men in Toronto had a significant brain injury before they were homeless. 42% of the homeless women. Um, It's a major cause of depression, anxiety attacks, suicide, being diagnosed with ADHD, and failing in school. And every year in the United States, 2 million new people have a head injury. That means over the last 40 years, there's 80 million people in this country likely walking around with the effects of traumatic brain injury. Your addictions may in part be you weren't able to say no. Because the front part of your brain, I think of it as the brain's break. (laughs) It stops you. (laughs) Yeah, when you say that word, I'm like, I don't think I have that part. But that would be indicative of what we just looked at, right? Yeah. It's, it, it stops wow. you from saying things you shouldn't say. 
or doing things that don't help you. I make you a good podcaster because I talk about things that other people aren't willing to. <laughs> well, creativity. I mean, I have to manually put the brakes on sometimes. I'm like, I don't think you can say that, Luke. Don't say that. Okay, thank you, higher self. <laughs> um, so if your prefrontal cortex works too hard, it's like the brake's always on. You don't make progress. But if it doesn't work hard enough, imagine you're at the top of Big Bear Mountain. It was at Big Bear less. It's holiday season. And you know, say it's snowing out and you're in a Ferrari and you want to have fun going down this icy um, road. Well, if your prefrontal cortex doesn't work hard enough, if you don't have brakes, you're likely going to die because you're going to not be able to steer, guide your car. Now, if the brakes are too hard, they work too often, you don't make it down either, right? So you need a balanced frontal lobe. And so that would be my goal for you. How can we get this stronger so you can still be creative but you steer better. And before you say things or before you do things, you go, is this going to help me get my goals? One thing I do with my patients, all of them, is an exercise called the one-page miracle. One piece of paper, I want you to write down what you want. Relationships, work, money, physical, emotional, spiritual health. What do you want? Because then we'll talk about is your behavior getting you what you want. Do those actions, do those thoughts, do those emotions, are they serving you or are they hurting you? So for example, I always want a kind, caring, loving, supportive, passionate relationship with my wife, who's my best friend. Always want that. But I don't always feel like that. You know, these rude thoughts will come in my head. (laughs) And if I can... If my frontal lobe works right, I supervise them and go, does this help you? Or will this hurt you? So it's not I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do that. I'm always looking to, does my behavior help me get what I want? When it comes to um, healing trauma, I just I had a thought of just going back to that. It seems that neuroplasticity is, is part of that, you know, like uh, healing old memories and traumas and building new memories and new ways of, of responding to the world rather than reacting. Does that, does neuroplasticity, if you're, if you're working with modalities that have that net effect, does that show up in the scans as more blood flow or is that a completely different like mechanical action? Does neuroplasticity like well, create if, if what, we, a pretty brain in other words? If we, you know, four months from now or six months from now or whenever we scan you again, neuroplasticity, we're going to see your brain heal. Mm. But it also can heal by calming circuits in your brain. So for example, um, it's about a decade ago, I did a study on police officers who were involved in shootings and they all went off work and they all had too much activity in their limbic brains. And we did it on average eight sessions of EMDR. And you could see on the follow-up scan, it calmed. Wow, really? And so a psychological treatment has a biological effect. 
I mean, in reality, all four of these circles are working together all of the time. We just did a study on prayer. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. We did a study looking at conversational prayer, I pray for you, speaking in tongues, which is actually channeling the Holy Spirit from the book of Acts, um, prophecy and discernment. And it was so interesting because our hypothesis would be compared to conversational prayer, speaking in tongues would drop the function in your brain. Because if you're going to channel the Holy Spirit, we've actually done channelers as well. If you're going to channel the Holy Spirit, you have to drop the noise in your head. Like I always have a busy brain. You got to get yourself out of the way. I'm not going to be a channeler. And and 60% of our patients, that's exactly what they did. They dropped their frontal lobes. Like, boom. was so cool to watch. One of them um, completely lit up their pleasure centers. Almost like we just injected them with cocaine. It's like, boom. I'm like, I bet you do this a lot. Wow. <laughs> it was really while, interesting. While doing their practice of prayer. While doing the practice of prayer. See, this is very interesting to me because, as I said in the beginning of the journey, um, you know, I was lacking any spirituality in my life and then tried the meds, tried a few other things and then eventually found like, wow, when I pray and meditate and I, you know, have a devotional life that I'm feeling much better and I'm able to witness those thoughts and be an observer of the mind, a la um, Byron Katie. And then it's like, I never stopped those practices, but I still felt like at some points I hit a wall and it's like, ah, there's something in my brain that's not letting me go further, no matter how spiritual I get. You know, it's just interesting. That I think with, with you having those four circles, it's, it is so important because you can't just fix whatever's wrong with you by becoming spiritual and believing in God and being of service and living, you know, a more sanctified life. Like, I don't think that alone does it if you're still eating McDonald's, right? And you can eat the healthiest food in the world and still have toxic toxic thoughts and no connection to source or God and really be lacking. So what I'm finding really interesting right now is um, the work of Joe Dispenza. How I'm sure you're familiar to some degree. I feel like you guys would be buddies if you're not already, but it's really interesting how he's sort of making a very accessible approach to spirituality and bringing in practices like breath work and a lot of things that are very reminiscent of kundalini yoga, but kind of removing all the branding and the um, the metaphor from it and any sort of attachment to any kind of cultural or religious um, connotations. And people are having these profound physiological healings and changes from spiritual practices. And then he's quantifying them through all these studies. It's just fascinating. So it's sort of, you know, it's kind of going backwards. It's like you're becoming your own psychiatrist in a sense from just doing these practices that move the energy. Do you have any knowledge of what he's doing or um, that kind of but framework his, of healing? His, the movie he was in, What the Bleep Do We Know? Right, right. I actually paid for all of my staff to go see it and gave them three hours off to do that. Because oh, cool. I liked it so much. It's just about how your mind affects your body. Um, and I went to medical school at Oral Roberts University. Oral Roberts was a very famous faith healer. And if you think of it, faith healing, where he puts, he would put his hands on people and they would literally fall to the floor. I mean, it was stunning. The level of energy he had. And I completely believe in energy transfer. That if you're around someone who's toxic, it makes you feel bad. I mean, you get headaches, you get stomach aches. 
we did another study on um, Qigong. And we had a Qigong master, direct energy at 11 people. Changed their brains almost immediately. Oh, that's cool. It was really interesting. That's we are all energy. I mean, your brain at any point in time is like producing 10 to 15 watts of energy. Um, and you can learn to harness it and direct it in a healthy way or in unhealthy ways. And that's why we have to end this idea of mental illness where, oh, you have six of these nine symptoms, so you're depressed, take Lexapro and really get people to learn these skills, biological, psychological, social, spiritual, so that they can have whole lives. And it, uh, it seems that um, what's happening in those practices and even in the Qigong experiment that you described that there's a neurogenesis taking place, that we're building new neurons and they're firing together. And this is, this is kind of what's coming out of this resurgent movement of psychedelics, specifically with psilocybin, that it, they say, they, <laughs> those scientists over there say that it has the ability to um, create neurogenesis. And again, I'd like to see it. Is that dubious, a dubious claim in your oh, opinion? Well, I, you know, I'm not going to tell you I'm an expert yeah, yeah. in it. But I know, um, so your listeners will like this. Your brain yeah. has this very special part on the inside of your temporal lobes called the hippocampus. Hippocampus is Greek for seahorse. And it's one of the few parts of the brain that produces new baby cells every day, up to 700 stem cells. So I think of them as baby seahorses. Oh, wow. And so every day, and whether you're 16, my daughter's age, or 65, my age, we're producing about 700 of them. Now, her stick and mine are less likely because of blood flow. If I have low blood flow, it happens as you age it's less likely to nourish the babies than they die. And so I'm always thinking about the baby seahorses and is my behavior growing them or murdering them? Getting them drunk murders them. Likely getting them stoned murders them because I have scans on my you know, marijuana folks and they're not healthy. Not always, but in general, I one guy, friend of mine in Hollywood, he's like, ah, I've been smoking for 50 years. I'm like, well, let me see your brain. Look like crap. <laughs> like your 70-year-old brain looks like uh -oh. you're 100. And so let's not get the seahorse babies stoned. And I think getting them high is probably not good. I mean, I know cocaine and methamphetamines are definitely problematic for them, but bad food is problematic. Not sleeping is problematic. Having an infection like Lyme is problematic, being exposed to mold. And so what can I do to grow my brain, exercise, new learning, healthy food, sunshine? You know, the dermatologists won. They made us afraid of the sun. And now we have this massive deficiency in vitamin D which is killing us. People don't know if your vitamin D level is over 40, you have half the risk of cancer for those that are under 20. And in the end of mental illness, it's basically, here's what I've learned from imaging. Here's what I know about how to keep your brain healthy. This is how we end mental illness. And there's a mnemonic called Bright Minds where I go after the 11 major risk factors that kill the baby seahorses. 
When you talk about addictions, you've indicated something that I've never heard anywhere else and that there are like sort of, I think it was six or seven different types of addicts. Right. Could you break those down briefly? I mean, it's just insane to say everybody who's got an addiction is the same. Right. It's like everybody is overweight. Let's just put them on one program. My program works for you. And based on our imaging work, what we realized is they're impulsive addicts. They have low frontal lobes, so they can't break their behavior. They're compulsive addicts. They can't stop thinking about whatever they're addicted to. They're impulsive, compulsive addicts. They actually have features of both. They're sad addicts. They're treating an underlying depression. They're anxious addicts, very common. They're treating underlying anxiety, especially social anxiety disorder. Um, And they're temporal lobe addicts. Their temporal lobes are hurt often from a head injury. And so knowing your type and balancing your brain helps whatever treatment program you're in work faster. And I'm like a huge fan of the 12 steps, but not 12-step meetings because they're generally filled with toxic food. (laughs) That's so funny. I mean, I am a fan of 12-step meetings. No, I know know what you mean. can, Can we at least honor the organ that makes us who we are. Can we at least be nice to it? It's really funny that you say <laughs> that because, um, you know, when you when you drive by a, a church, you know, and you see a bunch of people out there smoking cigarettes, you know that those are people that are in recovery, right? And they're in a 12-step meeting. And I've always found that, I mean, it's kind of obvious, like if you quit drugs, like you're going to hang on to the nicotine because you just need something to get you through. But when you go in, um, more specifically AA meetings, you know, there's always like, a big old coffee pot and then a bunch of sugar, you know? And I remember asking someone about that and they said, well, in the early days, you know, guys would be going through the DTs and part of that is like, you know, the lacking the sugar from the alcohol that they were drinking so much of. And so that's where the donuts and cookies and all that stuff. But um, as I got sober, I got really into health and, and wellness and detoxing and all this. And I knew that, you know, obviously like white sugar and gluten was bad for you. I mean, a long, long time ago. And I always would, you know, I'd walk in there and want to be like, you guys, like, I have something to say. Like, can we get some green juice in here, you know, or some healthy fats? Like, no one's going to last if we're on this horrible tap water fluoridated coffee and all the sugar, you know. It seems to be there's a direct correlation between, like, getting off alcohol and just eating copious amounts of sugar. Do you know about my work with the Daniel Plan? Uh Uh-uh. So about 10 years ago... um, I wrote a book called Change Your Brain, Change Your Body. Yeah. And it was a monster bestseller for us. And um, when I finished it, it was a Sunday morning. And I was really happy because even though I've written a lot, um, books take a lot of energy for me. And so um, I was really happy and we're on our way to church And I told Tana, my wife, why don't you take Chloe, our six-year-old at the time, and drop her off at Children's Church, and I'll go save us seats. And I walked toward the sanctuary, this huge church here in Newport Beach. Is it Rick Warren's church? No. It's called Mariner's Church. Oh, okay. And I walked by hundreds of donuts for sale (laughs) for charity, and it just pissed me off. Right. I'm like, I'm going to get my soul fed. These bastards are trying to kill me. And then I walked by bacon and sausage cooking on the grill. And I felt like somebody just slugged me. I'm like, they're not just, they're not thinking. 
And then I walked by hundreds of hot dogs they were cooking for after church. And I'm so (laughs) irritated. And as I sat down, the minister started talking about the ice cream festival they had the night before. (laughs) And when my wife found me in church, I'm typing on my phone. And she gave me that look that only your wife can give you. Like, why the hell are you on that thing in church? Don't you know you're going to hell? And I showed her what I was writing. You know, go to church, get donuts, hot dogs, bacon, sausage, ice cream. They have no idea they're sending people to heaven early. Save them, then kill them. This is not the plan. And I prayed that Sunday that God would use me to change the culture of food at church. No lie. Two weeks later, Rick Warren called me. I'd never met Pastor Warren. He's the senior pastor at Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in the world. Um, They have 20 campuses, like 60,000 people show up on the weekends. And he called me up and he said, I'm fat. My church is fat. Will you help me? (laughs) And I'm like, you had me from hello because of the prayer I just prayed. And on January 15th, 2011, we launched the Daniel Plan, which is a program oh. to get the world healthy through churches. Did you, and was uh, Mark Hyman involved? Mark Hyman in that? and yeah, I yeah. wrote it That's together. Right. Yeah. And uh, the first week, 15,000 people signed up. The first year, they lost a quarter of a million pounds. And now thousands of churches around the world have done that. So I say that to say intention, prayer works. And how you change the world, it starts by you changing yourself. Because if you're not authentic, you don't live the message of your life, you suck as a messenger. So the first place it starts is with you. And then you can give it away because people are going to want what you have. Uh, The last thing I wanted to ask you about is nootropics, smart drugs. You mentioned modafinil, I think, because it was in my intake form. And for me, that's something... It's more like if I have a long flight or I, I just slept like crap for some reason and I have to perform at a high level, I'll take a very small, like um, I guess it would be like a quarter of a 200 milligram modafinil. And it's just, just kind of makes me feel not sleepy, basically, you know. Um, so it's useful in some cases, not the kind of thing I, I would take every day. But there are a few other things that I found to be really useful depending on what I'm doing. One of them is the racetam family, specifically paracetam, uh, which I take probably three or four days a week, um, primarily before I do public speaking or conduct interviews. I find that it really helps with uh, verbal acuity, word recall, memory in the moment, being able to circle back in a conversation. I mean, I've kind of tested having these types of conversations with and without, and it's unequivocally better with um, then there's other things that have kind of come about, uh, like methylene blue and just uh, a lot of different, you know, the ginkgo and kind of on the herbal side. What's your take on synthetic nootropic smart drugs, herbal things that are good for your brain? What can you tell us about any of those things? So I'm a huge fan of uh, nutritional supplements. We call them nutraceuticals. I'm especially a fan of ginkgo. Prettiest brains I've ever seen take ginkgo. Um, I'm a fan of rhodiola, ashwagandha, ginseng, green tea extract without the caffeine. And we make something called Focus and Energy that has all of those things. Nice. Our um, 
memory formula, brain and memory power boost. And what I learned is the brain doesn't get sick in one way. So it's not going to get better in one way. And so has ginkgo and vinpocetine for blood flow, has acetyl L-carnitine for mitochondrial energy, phosphatidylserine, which has, I don't know, 25 randomized double-blind studies showing it helps with attention and memory, um, alpha-lipoic acid to help balance blood sugar. And so I think using these multiple mechanism formulas is why I developed BrainMD because that's our supplement company because this is what I do for my patients. You know, so for you, for your brain, I'd put you on Neurovite. It's it's not a multiple vitamin. It's a super brain-directed multiple vitamin that has like 3,000 of the RDA for B vitamins, like B6, B12, folate, the same levels found in research to decrease the conversion of mild cognitive impairment to Alzheimer's disease. That's very interesting that you mentioned that because when I just did my labs with Dr. Scott Scher, he found me to be really deficient in almost all of the B vitamins. And I thought it was so weird because I supplement. He goes, well, you you must not methylate. B vitamins because you're very low. It was the weirdest thing. So that would be that would kind of coincide with what you found. Yeah, interesting. Um, and then high dose fish oil. I did a study on 50 consecutive patients who came here that were not taking fish oil. I looked at their omega three index. Um, 49 of the 50 were suboptimal. And the CDC just came out and said 97% of the population does not have enough omega-3 fatty acids in their blood, which is associated with all sorts of bad things like Alzheimer's disease, depression, heart disease. So um, it's basically my NFL formula, brain and memory power boost with Neurovite Plus with high-dose fish oil. And it's like in insurance, but I've seen it repair Brains. I actually have a mixed martial artist I saw who, because I go, I did my NFL work. I know this works in two months. I didn't know how fast it worked, but I put him on that formula plus focus and energy. That's our focus product. Two and a half hours later, his brain showed improvement, which was pretty cool. Wow. So, so I'm a huge fan yeah. of things I know that are safe that have studies showing that they'll work. In the end of mental illness, this chapter, Mind Meds versus Nutraceuticals, actually show what supplements have A-level scientific evidence this is likely to make a difference. And ginkgo is one of them. Saffron is another. Omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin D. So why wouldn't we do this first? And right, eat right, 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 and do the right things, then get excited about things that may be harmful. You've talked uh, about the clinical and sparse use of Adderall for certain types of ADD. So, like you've indicated, there are different types of addicts. There's also a bunch of different profiles of ADD, and for some of those, a low dose Adderall would be effective, and for some, it'd be horribly wrong. What? What's the breakdown on on Adderall? I've never taken it myself. It, I've seen people that are on high doses of it, and they act very much like someone on crystal meth. So it's it's not been something I've wanted to to take on. But when now, is that with useful? With your sleepy frontal lobes, it, it it might also activate your cerebellum. So I'm I'm not opposed to it. I've seen terrible things happen. 
because they gave it to the wrong ADD type. So there's one type we call the ring of fire, where their brain works too hard and you don't want to stimulate that brain. That's a bad idea. But when you have a really sleepy brain, like yours, I would say, is a sleepy brain. Your cerebellum is sleepy. Your frontal and temporal lobes are sleepy. Stimulating it might be helpful. I mean, I've seen... Well, I'll tell you my favorite story. I have four children. My oldest daughter is beautiful, sweet as can be. But the truth is, and I'm going to cry when I say this, I never thought she was very smart. I haven't told this story in a long time. And I would try to teach her like the times tables over and over and again. I'm like, what is the matter? And I took her in third grade to see um, a school psychologist. And I'm like, does she have a learning problem? And she basically told me after she tested her, she wasn't very smart. But she said she'll be okay because she works hard. She cares. And in eighth grade, she won a presidential scholar award, not for academics, because she never got an A, but for effort. And in (laughs) 10th grade, she fell apart Mm. because she was staying up every night till one or two o'clock in the morning to get her homework done. And I was so worried about her. And one night, and I'd help her with her homework. And one night she came to me and she was crying. And she said, Dad, I could never be as smart as my friends. Horrified me. And I think it's 1996. I've been scanning people for five years. I'm helping all these people. And so I had her come see me the next day at work. I'm like, I'm going to scan your brain. And she had a really sleepy brain, a little bit like yours. And I'm like, I want you to come back tomorrow. And I gave her five milligrams of Adderall. Normalized her brain. Normalized her brain. The first dose? The first dose. Wow. Well, when it works, it's yeah, like yeah. glasses. Right. You know, it works when you take it and it doesn't work when you don't. Right. And a week later, I took her to dinner and I'm like, so what do you think? She said, oh my God, dad, you can't know the difference. I think I'm going to be a geneticist. And I'm like, what? <laughs> because the thing she was crying over is they were studying genetics and oh, biology and she was oh, completely wow. lost. She said, Dad, I can see the DNA molecule rotate in my head. It's so interesting. And from a child who never got A's, first grading period, she got straight A's. She had straight A's for the next 10 years when I treated her inattentive ADD And she got into the world's best veterinarian school, the University of Edinburgh. And she ended up not going because she had a family. But it changed the trajectory of her life. So I'm not opposed to stimulants. I know they have a bad rap. But it's it's because they just give them to people without not... And knowing anything about their brain. But for sleepy brains, it can be really helpful. Interesting. And would you withhold medicine if she had a heart problem? No, that would be abusive. Would you withhold medication if she had cancer? No. But because it's the brain, we think it's, it's the mind and it's different. 
And the end of mental illness is these damn things aren't mental. Their brain. Get your brain right and your mind will follow. The end of mental illness begins with a revolution in brain health. How would one determine if they have ADD to begin with and also the type and whether or not something like Adderall or modafinil even would be useful? I mean, is like a, a spec scan kind of the only way to really see what's going on there? Or is there, are there other diagnostic, diagnostic tools that are useful in determining that? Well, you know, a long time ago, I realized not everybody's getting a scan. So that's why I wrote my book, Healing ADD, that has checklists in it. Uh, people can go to ADD type test and take an online quiz. I mean, nothing's as good as a scan because you want to get a look at your, because you know how you scored. You actually had a lot of ADD symptoms that you said yes to, but you also had some OCD traits that you said yes to. And if I put you on an OCD medicine, I'd hurt you. Now, the ADD stuff probably help you. When you say a sleepy brain, would that subjectively be perceived as kind of brain fog and just a little bit out of it? Yes. By the, by the person who has that going on? Often. Yeah, I relate to that. <laughs> that makes sense. And not your fault. Right. Right, it's like... It's that kid that you, hit you me in the head with a basketball yourself. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You never smack yourself because you needed glasses. It's like I have funny eyeballs. Ryan, my eyeballs are shaped funny, so I wear glasses. and don't like it, but I do it because I see better. Um, and the Erlen syndrome I think you have, that Helen told you you had, yeah. could have been from the head trauma. The addiction could have been from stop. the head see, trauma. see her on the way home today. <laughs> She's right <laughs> on the way. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you is where you find, if at all, um, neurofeedback has a place in this. I've done a lot of neurofeedback training and not based on a scan like we did today, but on a QEEG that I did three years ago and one that I did quite recently. Um, you should send them to me. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I'm a huge fan of QEEG. And I think if I was going to develop a screening tool for the whole population, QEG might be it. Um, because in fact, it's harder to do and it's not really portable. Um, requires an injection and a little bit of radiation. Um, I did QEEG before I did SPEC. Um, the SPEC scans are just so much like, I think they're cooler. But with QEEG, you look at the electrical activity in your brain and if you had excessive delta or excessive theta, which I'd predict based on my scan, that neurofeedback is a way to train that to be better. The problem is quantitative EEG, you're measuring electrical activity, which is pretty small to start with, on the outside surface of your skull. And it really doesn't give you a good look at the undersurface of your brain, which is really where a lot of mental health stuff hangs out. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, because when I did the... But I'd love to see it. Okay, I'll send it to you. When I did the QEG three years ago, I didn't know it at the time, but I was living directly under two massive cell towers. Mm. And I was having a really hard time. And I don't think I even have quite bounced back from that. My eyes went bad. I got horrible brain fog, dizziness, vertigo. Well, and you wonder if the EMFs... Or we had a negative impact on your brain. I mean, we already have, so we have head trauma, we have past <laughs> substance abuse, we have the ayahuasca <laughs> abuse, we have the cell towers. Right. 
And, yeah. and that's, you know, usually what I see yeah. is it's, there are multiple risk factors, uh, which means we have to go after all of them. What was interesting about the, um, the neurofeedback, which I was fairly consistent with for a couple of years in between, but the, the QEG three years ago and the one that I just did, there were, um, according to Dr. Andrew Hill that has uh, Peak Brain LA, um, he said that I had three standard deviations of improvement in my overall brain function based on that from where I started. But he didn't know that I was living under these cell towers when I did the first one. So I told him and it was like, well, we couldn't really quantify how much of it was the neurofeedback and improving the lifestyle and how much of it was just like not living under a cancer machine, you know, and sleeping right there for three years that I lived there. But that was interesting, but um, it'd be interesting to see how those match up with what we found today. Because I think the neurofeedback is, is really interesting. I've known so many people like Dave Asprey, for example, who's invested a lot of time and energy in his 40 years of Zen, which I did a number of years ago, and has really seen dramatic improvements in emotional and just cognition and all of those things. So yeah, love it, man. Uh, last question for you is, who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life or work that our listeners might be able to go study? Um, well, you mentioned Byron Katie. When I get unhappy, I read her or listen to her books. <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah. it just is so helpful to me. I love The Power of Now and Eckhart Tolle's work. Um, I love Mark Hyman's work. I, you know, I think the three big innovations I bring to psychiatry, imaging, if you don't look, you don't know, stop lying, um, natural ways to heal the brain, and do it in a functional or integrative medicine um, paradigm. And I learned that from Mark. Yeah, that, there's definitely correlations between your whole approach as I sit and talk with you and the functional medicine. It's like your functional medicine for the brain specifically seems to be kind of how you roll. Yeah. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, and where can people find your clinics? How many are there in the, in the world or in the States? Website, social media, anything you want to share? So we have eight clinics around the country. Um, four on the West Coast, Bellevue, Washington, outside of San Francisco and Walnut Creek, uh, Encino, just north of Los Angeles, Orange County, where we are now, um, Chicago, New York City, by the Public Library, uh, Washington, D.C., and Atlanta, Georgia. Um, amenclinics.com is the website that they can learn all about our work. BrainMD is our supplement company. Um, our goal is to help you have a better brain. And that's what we do. We provide the products and services to make that happen. So someone could travel to any one of those clinics and get the same scan and get feedback from someone like you that understands how to read the scan and give recommendations based on that. You bet. We have two cameras in every clinic because uh, we see people from all over the world and um, we have about 40 doctors. I've trained all of them and wow. love all of them. Cool, man. That's awesome. You're doing great work in the world. Yeah, thanks for letting me share my work with you. Yeah, I'm stoked. It's been a long time coming. I've known of you for a long time and your whole thing and I'm just like, one of these days, I think I have you in fact on my, you're talking about like writing down the things you want. I have this master list of about... A hundred fascinating, brilliant people that I've wanted to sit down with, and you're on that list, and it happened. So, well, thank you, and I'm yeah. really looking forward. We should make a date for six months from now. You get in the chamber, do the right things with the supplementation. Cool. Um, let's I'm see what it. we can do. I'm on it. Let's do it because it's it's so fortuitous that there, there's a couple hyperbaric places in LA. 
but they're not terribly convenient. And they're like in medical centers, but which is fine. I mean, I would go anywhere to get well, but this new one I just found out about, it's like this super sweet spot and it's right, you know, they have cryo and the saunas and the whole thing. It's like a biohacking spot. Um, and it's like five minutes from my house. Awesome. So as long as I can work something out with them, we'll be on it. Good. Thank you, sir. So how many of you right now are smoking some weed going, oh shit, (laughs) what am I doing? A lot of pretty harsh realities there in this interview with Dr. Daniel Amen, right? Or maybe you're you're having a nice glass of wine, settling in for the evening, listening to the old Lifestylist podcast. Listen, man, don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. I mean, I think guilt and, you know, any kind of negative thinking is maybe as bad for your brain as some of the things that Dr. Amen talked about, but you got to you know, give some consideration to the fact that he has scanned thousands of brains with his spec scans and he, you know, runs scans on people that do drugs and smoke and drink and smoke weed and all these things. And those scans just suck. I mean, it's, it's a shame. I wish some of these things that are so fun for some of us, um, and have their place, their benefit as, you know, medicine or social lubricants and what have you. I, I really wish they were all good for you, but According to him, some of them aren't. So I think it's just about finding balance. And, you know, as I said in the intro, I mean, he was very much against the use of psychedelics, but I've seen a lot of research to support the efficacy of microdosing psilocybin um, and its ability to uh, increase neurogenesis, you know, the formation of new neurons and neural um, neural connections and, and whatnot. And I know that it helps me with a lot of the work that I do. So, you know, I don't know. I think we have to have a balanced approach uh, definitely with the brain, I would err on the side of caution personally, you know, but uh, you got to live your life. You know what I mean? You got to have some fun here and there. So let's take this all with a grain of salt and just do the best we can to take care of our brains and especially the brains of those those young ones around us. I think that's the most important. You know, once you're an adult, you can kind of make your own decisions. But when you've got kids, you don't want to be feeding them things that are bad for their brain and you want to avoid EMFs on the little tykes and all of that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, as for me, I'm going to find a balanced approach to my brain, really watch the diet, watch the blue light, watch the EMF. And I am cranking out those hyperbaric sessions like nobody's business, folks. I did two one-hour sessions today and I ain't stopping until I go back to Amen Clinics and do a follow-up scan and my brain looks perfect. I want to, I want the brain of Einstein. That's how my brain wants to look, all right? So I'll keep you posted. I'll probably do a follow-up mini episode after maybe six months of uh, using Dr. Amen's protocol. But, well, kind of. (laughs) I've deviated. I mean, I've done the fish oil and his great supplements and hyperbaric and stuff, but I have, you know, had some ceremonies and journeys and things like that that I don't think he would approve of, but we'll see. Maybe I go back and he's like, dude, what have you been doing? Because you did all the hyperbaric sessions and all the supplements and your brain still sucks. So, you know, maybe that peyote ceremony you did out in the desert was bad for your brain. I don't know. We'll find out. But uh, I'm learning a lot. The universe is opening up and unfolding before me in miraculous ways as a result of uh, some of the journey that I've been doing in the past year, including my recent trip to Sultara, which of course was documented here on the show, um, on which I did four ayahuasca ceremonies. So I don't know. You know, some of this stuff is like you ask one person one thing and they have an opinion and you ask someone else and they have a different one. So I'm just trying to follow my gut, follow my heart and the experts all at the same time, even if they don't always converge 
uh, in a perfect overlapping web of opinions and expertise. But God bless Dr. Amen, brilliant guy, very kind-hearted, so grateful that he did the show. It was uh, on my vision board for a long time to interview him and to get that brain scan. I just really wanted to know because I've always felt like there's just something missing upstairs. I'll just be honest. I feel really kind of dense some of the time. And I know that I'm relatively intelligent, but it's just, there's a fog situation going on and I've never been able to figure out exactly what it is. Um, so I'm excited to uh, you know treat myself and go back later and see if it worked or not. And hopefully it did. I'm praying that I'm, I'm making progress. I feel like I am. And uh, as I said, if you live in a city where there's an Amen clinic, um, you definitely want to get yourself in there and get one of those scans and check it out for yourself. It's sometimes a harsh reality, but it's better to know than not to know. At least you have a starting point and you know what you want to work on. Let's thank our sponsors, man. Speaking of health and a healthy brain, I'll start with Lifecycle because their medicinal mushrooms are freaking awesome. They're a tincture. So you've heard me talk about other brands that make powders that are delicious. You put in your drinks and things like that. And um, sometimes people get freaked out or give me flack because, wait, I thought you said this other. I'm like, dude, there's tons of medicinal mushroom companies out there that are great. There are some that suck. I only promote the ones that are awesome. And Lifecycle is awesome, especially their lion's mane extract. It is freaking fantastic. And it's also great for mixing with microdoses of psilocybin. Again, sorry, Dr. Amen. But it is. It's awesome. Uh, I love Lifecycle. So go to Lifecycle.com. That's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L. Lifecycle.com. Enter the code LUKESAVE20 up until March 31st, 2020. And that saves you 20%. That's Lifecycle.com. L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L. Enter the code LUKESAVE20. And um, if you get in there soon enough, you'll get that discount. Then Comrade Socks. Man, I love these compression socks. Yeah, I took a road trip the other day and I forgot to wear them and I was super bummed because my legs were all tired. Now I'm spoiled whenever I fly or I'm standing for a long period of time or driving for a long period of time. I'm straight up legit addicted to wearing these freaking uh, compression socks. I really only thought they were for sports or flying and I don't do sports. So that left me uh, wearing them on flights. But then I started to do more research into the company to, to uh, read the ads and stuff. And I was like, oh, snap, these things are hella good for you all the time. And they also look really cool. They're stylish. They don't look sporty and douchey. They're, they're dope. They're different colors and designs. And they look like, you know, fun, trendy, fashion-y socks. Little do people know they are providing you with immense health benefits. So check them out at comradesocks.com. That's comradesocks.com. Use the code Luke and save 20% off. Then uh, let's give a plug to our friends at Sakara. God, I need to order some of their damn food, man. They have the freshest plant-based food. Now, if you know me, you know I love to eat meat, but there are some times I just crave a bomb-ass salad. Like I want fresh raw greens. And I'm not that big on cooked vegetables, but I do like a good salad, I have to say. Um, now, I might throw some steak on it <laughs> from Belcampo, but uh, Sakara.com forward slash Luke is going to hook you up with a 20% discount. If you use the code Luke on home delivered meals that are incredibly healthy and fresh and beyond organic. I mean, it is super clean food. And I'm most of the time, quite picky about the food I eat, at least the food in my house. I mean, when you go out to a restaurant, sometimes it's when in Rome, do as the Romans, you got to take one for the team and just get full. Uh, but 
for food that comes through the front door of my house, it's got to be clean. It's got to be good or it ain't coming in. So go to sakara.com forward slash Luke and get yourself some of their amazing meal delivery. It makes it so much easier, you guys, to comply with eating organic and clean if the food is delivered. I know when I run out of food like Saqqara, uh, then that's when I'm going to go out to a restaurant and end up eating some canola oil and probably some gluten and like falling off the wagon. So I find if I get food delivered, then I'm just stuck in my house with good quality food and I'm much less likely to make uh, poor decisions. So that's sakara.com forward slash Luke. Don't forget to join me on Tuesday where we bring back second time guest, one of my favorite people in the world, Sahara Rose. Thank you so much for listening to this show. If you've got a heart in your chest and a brain in your skull, do me, the world, and our guests a favor and share this episode with a friend right now. Thank you so much. <laughs>